Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 307 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is February 10th, 2014. Just a few days away from Valentine's Day. Don't forget your loved ones. Uh, we've got a very great show for you this week on the podcast. Lots of stuff going on. Signing day, USC 2014. Big day, four for four on signing day. So we're going to talk to Dan Weber about his thoughts. He's going to talk about some USC hoops, talk about sanctions, all kinds of fun stuff that... You guys always ask questions about, and Coach Harvey Hyde, in the very first segment, we're going to talk to him about the signing day and what went on there, what he thinks about this new USC recruiting class, and we do want to get to all of your questions. If you have more questions for us, we'd love to hear from you, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can email at, uh, email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, call us at 206-888-6755, or go to peristylepodcast.com, and leave a voicemail right on the webpage. All right, kind of a long, rambling introduction, Coach, sorry about that, but we are back with a regular show. How you doing, Coach? Everything good? Ryan, it's great. I'll tell you, we're through recruiting. Great recruiting year for the Trojans. And you think about it for a moment, you say, wow. But then again, when you think about it again, Ryan, don't put your cameras away. March the 10th, spring practice starts. You don't even, you got about a month to get ready to go over to uh, practice uh, practice, and uh, watch all these new bodies that are on campus and plus uh, – Imagine where the recruits will play and see the new offensive schemes and watch new coaches. So it's going to be quite a uh, spring for the Trojans. It certainly will. Yeah, almost. I didn't even think about that, Coach. A month from today, essentially, <laughs> USC spring practice starts. So crazy. We'll have to take a little time off, I think, here and there after signing day. Talk about some 2015 kids, of course, and then, of course, get ready for spring football. And I just want to thank uh, our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the website. You can give them a call at 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for anything here in Southern California. I think the Ducks still have the best record in the NHL. If you want to see Ducks games, Kings games, I think pitchers and catchers report soon. There's lots of stuff going on in the sporting world. So, you know, football's over. There's still other things you can check out and go to setickets.com for that. And, Coach, you talked about signing day. I wanted to play this voicemail question for you to, to kind of get the podcast going. Let's get going. Hey, this is Sean from Kentucky. Uh, you know, I just wanted to call in and uh, say how, how beautiful of a signing day was that. Uh, complete 180 from what it was last year, but I just kept smiling and smiling watching all those guys have UCLA hats out there and every single time just watching them turn them down. Uh, that was just beautiful to me. And then for USC to finish with Adori and Juju, it was kind of just like a cherry on top, uh, you know, it, that just shows the brand of USC. Yes, UCLA has beaten us twice, but, you know, the brand wins out. I compare it a lot to, you know, Kentucky and Louisville basketball. Even though Louisville has recently won the national championship, Kentucky still owns that state. And that's just how it's kind of always going to be. But, uh, and, you know, what a year to come off sanctions. You look at the 2015 class, man, California is loaded. And I just, I just think if we could have a good season this year, uh, move over Alabama because USC is going to take that top spot next year if we can round in that California, round up that California talent. Uh, thanks. I uh, appreciate the podcast and fight on. Well, thank you very much. I'll tell you, I hear down in the South that signing day is a national holiday. <laughs> I've heard down there in Kentucky and Alabama and all of that. People don't go to work that day. They just stay, stay glued in front of their television and watch the signing uh, of the athletes uh, in the Southeastern Conference and really party and have a great day. But it was like that sort of in Southern California with USC and the way USC finished. Uh, people on national TV were talking about the finish, the way they came through the last, well, the Pac-12, really, Ryan, uh, when you think about the Pac-12 and how they closed on national TV with Oregon and UCLA and, USC getting all those commits. It certainly did bring a lot of prestige to the Pac-12. But uh, I thought it was exciting, too, 
sitting there and, and watching these young players commit, especially when you think about the class, as uh, this gentleman mentioned, uh, most of USC's recruits, except for a few, very few uh, kids out of Florida and, and uh, Plattenberg out of Texas, are all within, I would guess, Ryan, 20 miles of each other. 20 or 30 miles of each other as far as where they live or where they go to school. They grew up together. They play pop water football against each other. I mean, it's like a class that knows everybody. Now, of course, out Corona's a little bit farther out, but most of the players are all within a 20-mile, 30-mile radius of Southern California, the campus itself, and for have these players grow up. And I'll tell you, I grew up playing high school football. I grew up playing junior college football. And there's there's just that mystique about if you get a scholarship offer to USC. This gentleman was completely right. I mean, the dream of playing at USC or walk down that tunnel and be a Trojan's got a little bit more of a ring to that bell than a lot of the other universities. Not that they don't have great programs, but that USC uh, stigma, that USC football Tradition, it really means a lot, and I think it opens up the door to a lot of student-athletes who uh, have heard about it, especially now in the South, they've heard about it. You, you you, contact and talk to more players than I do, Ryan, down in the South, and they'll say, yeah, we've heard a lot about USC, we'd like to visit. Isn't that correct? Yeah, certainly. I mean, it's uh, when even now you see it with the 2015 kids, they get a scholarship offer, and it, it lights them up. It, it definitely means something to a lot of these guys. Well, so the class, I thought the class was a good class. Uh, you finished number one. Uh, SC finished number one in the Pac-12. Some of the other schools that, uh, or universities that were off to a fast start moved down. I was surprised how quickly you, UCLA went down to maybe being the best class uh, this year in recruiting. They started off that way to move down to possibly around sixth. Stanford, again, had a good class. Arizona State had a surprisingly really good year. Arizona now with Rich Rodriguez is making a strong run. The recruiting, I thought, in the Pac-12 overall was really good. And uh, there isn't really a weak link any longer in the Pac-12. Everybody shows up. Everybody's recruiting Southern California, recruiting nationally. Washington State had a good recruiting year. Colorado struggled. Utah struggled. But uh, they're the new members to Pac-12, and they've got to get their programs going a little bit before they step into the class of the Oregons, the SCs, the UCLA, the Stanford, who's had recent great success. Cal got a, had a pretty good recruiting year. I was surprised, Ryan, that uh, Cal finished above Washington. Were you? Yeah, I mean, that the way Cal finished, I mean, I thought they finished pretty strong. Um, but I think the turmoil at Washington certainly hurt. USC ended up taking a few of those guys away, uh, you know, that, Steve Sarkeesian had his commits up there, but then, you know, Washington took some of the Boise State guys, too. I thought Washington finished pretty good, too. But, yeah, I, I, it was it was interesting to me that Cal did as well as they did. I agree with you. And then you look around at some of the other conferences and how they did the Mountain West Conference. Uh, uh, a lot of people, well, maybe Boise State didn't have the best recruiting year. Was it San Diego State this year in the Mountain West Conference? Fresno State was expected to have a great year, but really – finished third or fourth. Colorado State had a surprising good year in the Mountain West Conference. So when you look at the nearby conferences, you, you see a lot of these conferences are changing uh, the power structure. Boise State's moving down a little bit now. Fresno State had a great year, uh, but you see Colorado State starting to emerge. You see uh, down there Rocky Long with Bob Toledo and that group starting to pick up some players. I thought San Diego State had a good recruiting year. So it's uh, it, it's starting to happen. I mean, it's just exciting. Recruiting to me, Ryan, I love recruiting. It's one of the most exciting uh, parts of the year. It's as good as the season for me. When I was a head football coach, I loved to recruit. I just loved to recruit. I loved to go into homes. I loved to talking to parents and kids and meeting their family. It was something that was really rewarding to me because I would watch all of these kids go on. I think Pete Carroll had a tremendous advantage when he went to Seattle to when he went into the draft, he knew Percy Harvin. He knew Richard Sherman. He knew uh, Marshawn Lynch. He knew Golden Tate. He, he, he recruited these kids, 
Plus, he's played against them in college, and he had knowledge of their ability, not in testing or the combine, but he played against them, not to mention others from USC that he has on the team. So I think that really has helped Seattle in in their drafting. I really do. No, it certainly has, and I I think that advantage is going to probably go away for Pete Carroll now that he's been out. He's won a Super Bowl. He's been out of the league a couple years, but it's a – I mean – you know, coaches get into it. We actually had a question, coach, for you on how, like, what the behind the scenes is. Let me, I'll, I'll read that one to you. It says, I really love this time of year. Sometimes uh, it's a little more when the season gets going, but I have a question for Harvey Hyde, and he's curious about what comes on the days leading up to National Signing Day behind the scenes. Do the coaches have a good idea of the way things are panning out, or the recruits just, or are they just, are the recruiters just as surprised when the players are giving their commitments as the fans are? Well, it's part of uh, being excited, it's part of being relieved, and it's part of the unknown. You really don't know who you have until that fax comes through with the National Letter of Intent signed. You really don't know. Uh, I tell you, I used to sit there and just wait and wait and wait. When they'd come through, we'd go to the board and put their name down and slap hands and celebrate. And if you happen to lose a kid, then you had to go to the next person who you had on the board immediately and try to reach them to tell them, we have an opening for you. We used to ask some of them to wait for us. Don't turn your letter into another school until we get back to you. It's really it's exciting. It, it really is. And, and really, in some of those situations, like at USC, those last four commits, I really don't believe you know. You don't know until you get the signed uh, sheet. You, don't, you just don't know and you get relief. I used to, at the end of recruiting, I'd say, we had a great recruiting year, or I'd be depressed because we spent all this time. We didn't have a great recruiting year. And I used to give my coaches one week off. I'd say, go home, go whatever you want to do, take a week off. I'd stay in the office with my recruiting coordinator and academic advisor. We'd go through to make sure these kids are going to qualify, follow up, talk to every parent, congratulate them. I would do that. I thought my coaches needed a whole week off. I'd say, get out of here. Don't come around here. I don't want to see you. Go play golf. Do whatever you want to do. Because when we had a great recruiting year, I was excited for them. But as a head football coach, you can't do it by yourself. It's impossible. And if you heard Steve Sarkeesian talk at his press conference on Wednesday night, he gave so much credit to his assistant coaches. And I understand, too, Ryan, and I don't know if you've heard this. You probably do. But T. Martin was uh, awarded the assistant uh, coach of the Pac-12 as far as the best recruiter. Did you hear that? Yeah, and uh, well, Rivals hasn't come out with their, but I've, I've definitely heard some other services do that. But certainly it's something that's a, it's a big deal. T. Martin got 10 players out of the, the 19, I think he was the primary recruiter on, and, or eight or 10, and you know two of the five-star guys. So certainly he did an amazing job this year. He certainly did. I'll tell you, I'd call him in my office, slap hands, and say, don't worry, buddy. Now we got to coach the ones you bring in. You do that again, and you're going to get a nice pay raise. <laughs> I mean, you've got to reward people when people do such tremendous jobs. And look what he's been through. I mean, he went through coaching changes. He wasn't sure if he was going to stay. Then Coach Sarkeesian kept him. He could have gone back to Tennessee a year ago. He stayed at USC. He's got this loyalty. And he can identify good players and communicate. That's what it's all about, relationships. And... uh so, you know, you really don't know until it comes through. Like on Juju Smith, the last person to announce, when I was sitting there in front of the TV, I know that Coach Sarkeesian, his staff was sitting in front of the TV. You knew, Ryan, all along. You were, you were telling me the same thing. You were afraid of Oregon. When he picked up and put on the SC hat, it was more or less, and I'm not even the coach. I'm not even the one that's got all this time. But I said, oh, my gosh, it was like a relief a relief and excitement at the same time. Slapping of hands. Uh, you know, no one was with me, so I couldn't get up and slap anybody's hand. <laughs> but it's it's such a great, when you hear that, it's such a relief. Then you run over to the fax machine and you say, come on, come on, come on. Everybody stay off the line. Come on, come on, come on. And then when it comes through, you, you slap your hands and you get ready again because you work so hard. Ryan, you know as well as I do. How many years do these coaches recruit these kids in advance? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, there's a lot of time and money invested in these kids. 
there really is a lot of money and a lot of excitement. And now you get them in a position where you can win, and you, you, you get them in, and you condition them, and you, and you love them a little bit. And when they know you love them a little bit, then they'll play harder for you. And you got to make sure they get on the field, especially your great players, all your players. You hope that every one of these players that you selected can contribute to the program and that they're happy and they graduate and they become the greatest uh, salespeople for your university. Um, well, Coach, we had another question on signing day. This is from Earl in uh, West Los Angeles. He said, how did USC manager do so well on signing day? Uh, in many cases, these kids were recruited by three different head coaches and what do you think the keys to successfully recruiting so many players that USC wanted? One answer is it illustrates the power of the USC brand. Given the turmoil and drama at the end of the year, the results are still surprising. That's Earl in West L.A. Earl, uh, yes, the power of the SC brand always helps. But then what really I thought helped a lot was Steve Sarkeesian coming to Southern California. They selected a coach to be in Southern California and know the same athletes that everybody else was recruiting. He had a relationship with all these players. I know what he was telling them, the same thing that I would be telling them, hey, guys, Washington's a great job, but USC's a better job. Why would I have left whatever I'm making it at Washington with the great program we have there, the new stadium we have there, everything we have there to come to USC? Why? Because it's a place I've wanted to be, and it's a place you should be. I've recruited you to Washington, but, hey, I brought my family here. I think it's better the the family of the Trojan family is better. You you point out all the positive points, and they don't have to reestablish a relationship. You've been recruiting these same kids, so you turn your movement to Southern California as a movement they should consider. A lot of the Washington commits did that. They listened. They came down to Southern California and cited USC. Then the others that weren't sure still knew Steve Sarkeesian, and they they. Bought in. They bought into what was going on at USC. Uh, Juju Smith, uh, uh, Doris Jackson. I mean, uh, Damian Mama, uh, Lamont Simmons, who I thought was a tremendous recruit there. Uh, the final day, I wonder somewhat is being overlooked just a little bit because of the Southern California uh, strong finish. But Lamont Simmons, I think, is a big physical kid from uh, Jacksonville, Florida, Reigns High School that can play. Plattenberg, who switched from UCLA to USC, was a nice commit. And, of course, all the others. I don't want to point out individual players, but the momentum starts. It's like next year with Town, the quarterback, who's already committed to USC. That's the focus point. Now they recruit behind him as they did Barkley, if you remember. When I was at UNLV, I, I got Kirk Jones to commit. He was a, as a running back from Long Beach Poly, who everybody in the country wanted. SC, UCLA, Texas, everybody. I got him to commit, and he was a strong commit where he started recruiting with me. And all of a sudden, we, we ended up with one of the top recruiting classes in the country. I can't remember what our ranking was, and I don't want to say it because I don't want to be wrong. But they, you rally around these great athletes, and you want to play with these great athletes. And that close finish that momentum should carry into the 2015 class. But you're right. You've got to win some football games, too. And I think the Trojans have a, a good start in being able to do that because they had a positive, positive, uh, what do you want to say, finish. And now with spring ball coming, they won their bowl game a year ago. They didn't win their bowl game. They had that sour taste in the mouth the entire offseason. And uh, you saw it, Ryan, the other night when you were on my show over at this restaurant we did. Look how many people came out. Look how many people were excited. I mean, you you know, a year ago that wasn't happening, but now it's happening. It is. It's uh, it's it's changed the attitude, I think, of a lot of the USC fans. We see it on Twitter. We see it on the message boards. Uh, there was a lot of kind of doom and gloom, and and weren't really sure what's going on. But once the, you know, Steve Sarkeesian group together, they got the the coaching staff together. That was solid. There were some hiccups with the defensive line coach and defensive coordinator and all that. That's all settled in. There was worry about finishing strong on Saudi day, that's all taken care of. I think it gives USC fans some hope here. And then we'll see, you know, spring football starts, you know, it'll be practice, you know, open to the public where people can kind of come and watch from the top of Dado Field. There'll be some practices at the Coliseum that might be, you know, with the ability to people come watch there. So I think it's changing. You know, he still has to win on the field, like you mentioned, but I think he's changed the momentum. When he when Starkeesian got hired at first, I think there was a lot of oh, ums and ahs, and I'm not really sure what to do here. But I think he's won some people over. And, of course, into the football season, if he's able to win games, he'll win even more people over. 
And I agree. And I was really impressed. I'll tell you with his uh, uh, Wednesday talk to the to the media, the people over there regarding the recruiting class, because it wasn't me, it was us. And I'll tell you, when you hear that type of talk coming out of a head football coach, I think that's great. He can communicate. He answers questions. He smiles. He has fun. He jokes. He's a people person. And I think you have to have that as a head football coach. You have to have respect for the media. Yet you have to be honest to the media. And uh, you have to give them information that they ask for. How can they write articles? So I think he started uh, with a big, big plus here at USC. And that momentum now has got to continue. And remember, the, the players where they got this, these, this class from are high schools that have all been very successful. They've won you know, Bosco and Sahara and Corona Centennial. These guys are used to winning. They don't want it any other way. They want to win. So they know what the price is to, to, to pay to win. They know what it's all about, and I think that helps. Plus, it really helps you next year. Because the 2015 class, you know some of the top recruits that tackle at Bosco, the, the defensive back at Long Beach Poly. I mean, these are all great players. And if these players are happy, it's a positive note. They'll want to come and be part of the party. Oh, good points there, Coach. And uh, there's a, we had a question from Melvin I wanted you to, to chime in on. Because I know you've watched some of these guys. Where do you think Sark's going to start off position-wise with a Dory Jackson and – John Smith. Well, I tell you, these are two five-star recruits, uh, Dory Jackson and John Smith. And I'll tell you, how would you like to have two five-star corners? If I was Coach uh, Sarkeesian, I'd say we're going to shut down people. We're not going to ever again be where we worry about their top receivers. Now, probably these kids uh, would buy in, and maybe you recruited them under a different thing, saying you'd give them a chance to play offense first, but. Can you imagine Juju Smith on one corner, big, strong, physical kid, and Dory Jackson on the other, two five-star corners, playing press defense right on you, nose for nose, and, and, and the great cover guys. I mean, I mean, physical, great, fast. I mean, what else can you have? You'd have the next Seattle. I mean, that's how Seattle's doing so great. And plus, you're two safeties inside, both Southmore, Suva Craven, an All-American, along with uh, uh, McCray, McKay, uh, the other safety, along with other players. Don't get me wrong, but look at that secondary. Young, fast, physical. Shut people down. You know, they talk about winning with defense. Yeah, you can win with defense, but you also got to be able to score points. It's not just one way anymore. But with the spread formations and the great talented receivers that are out there, you've got to match that talent with your talent. To have players watching the game as backups, I just can't see that. But I tell you, I'd see Dory Jackson at a corner and see Juju Smith at a corner, two five-star recruits just like Galen Ramsey did. Jalen Ramsey, I think it was for Florida State, start this year. They won a national championship, be a shutdown corner. I, I, I would love to see these guys do this. Will this happen? I don't know. But it wouldn't be hard for me to convince them, to tell them that, the highest guys getting paid now are the corners in the NFL. And every kid thinks about the NFL. When you can shut down people and play corner, it's a great position to play. Now, that's where I would put them. Will they play there? I don't know. You know, Coach, so Steve Sarkeesian came out and said Adore Jackson was going to start on defense, probably play corner. And uh, Juju Smith, with the, the numbers on offense, he's going to start off at wide receiver. Now, a lot of people I talk to like Juju Smith as a safety um, does it matter to you, safety corner? You, you'd rather see him play corner than safety, or, or what do you think? Well, I think he can play anywhere he wants on the football field. I mean, he's the type of kid to be a great receiver, great running back. He's a great athlete. He's just a great athlete. I'd rather see him play corner if he can play corner because then you have your players on the field, like the four I mentioned. The receivers, they got a lot of receivers. They just, they got Stevie Mitchell, Darius Rogers, they got Nelson Aguilar, they got Farmer coming back if he's healthy. They've got. Um, Victor Blackwell is uh, another Vic, one, yeah. Pardon me? Victor Blackwell, yeah. Yeah, Blackwell, Johnson that just came in. They, uh, they got all these kids that are athletes that can play. Uh, Harris that just came in. Uh, a lot, and you don't, want to, you don't want to stack your players. You want to get your players on the field. You want to be able to. 
demonstrate a Lockett. How about Lockett? Lockett's a player that can play, too. I like Lockett from modern day, a defensive back. So you want to get your players on the field, and, and you don't want them you know, stacked up at receivers. You want to get them all over the field so they're on the field at the same time. Now, if something was to happen and you had injuries, these kids can adapt. It's not like they've never played a receiver. And if you have too much depth on, depth on one side of the football, you've got to change. Lamont Simmons is going to be a better football player than a lot, what a lot of people realize. Yes, he was only a three-star, but uh, I watch him closely. He's a physical, big, 6'2", 185-pound kid that loves the game of football and plays hard all the time. And don't forget John Plattenberg. He's not a bad player either. Yeah, I mean, what do you think? I mean, just the last thing for you, Coach. I mean, I was wondering when people are talking about are there – a lot of impact guys in this class. And, uh, you know, certainly on signing day, you got a couple of five-star guys. you got Damian Mom. I mean, there's some impact players there. But do, what do you think is going to be the need? Do you think some of it is just kind of depth? When you get a lot of linemen, you, you might just be kind of looking for down the road. What's your idea as far as, like, guys that are building depth and guys that are really trying to be impact guys? Well, you know, linemen, it takes a little bit longer. But uh... – it's being proven now that these players are farther along than what they used to be coming out of high school. Before Lyman would come out of high school and he'd say, oh, well, you got a red shirt and he's not going to be ready to play. But I think if you look around the country, especially across town, you see a lot of freshman players playing in the offensive line, defensive line positions. These kids are farther ahead. They're more mature than they were years ago. And they can play. When you give them the opportunity, they'll step in there and play. They have to. And this kid... Uh, you pronounce his name, the offensive tackle for offensive lineman from uh, Corona Centennial. Oh, Vian- I don't want to Vianney, yeah. myself. Tal-Miavo, yeah. V- Vianney Tal-Miavo, I think. Yeah, Yeah. right, whatever. <laughs> uh, he, he, hey, it's not his name. He can play. I'll tell you, I evaluate him closely. Now, that's a man. I'll tell you, he could step in and play if he's given that opportunity. Mama, too, has got to be able to step in there and play, given that opportunity. I would give him that opportunity. And let's don't forget to... Some of these other kids that have impact players. I think Chris Brown someday is going to be a great offensive lineman. He's matured over the last two years. That if he continues to mature, see, a lot of kids mature early and they don't get any better. They're as good as a sophomore as they are as a senior. But you take a Chris Brown who's just now getting into his maturity. He's 6'6", 285 pounds. A year ago, he was 6'6", 240 pounds or 50 pounds. And he gets off the football. He's learning every day. And when he goes against better players, he gets better. So I think he's going to be a – and Bryce Dixon. I mean, I loved him on film. I mean, here's a kid that was the number one tight end in the country. But not only is he a great – going to be a great tight end, he could be an H-back in Steve Sarkeesian's offense. He could be a slot you could put him all the way outside. He could be a big receiver. Put him all the way to the field. You can use him in motions. He's got great hands. He can run. So, you know, you've got kids that can do different things. And, and I don't want to slight any of the other players, uh, uh, Lobodon. And, and I mean, I don't want to start naming names, but then I'm going to slight somebody. And the kid that has to come in and really, Claude Pellin, he's got a purpose. He was recruited as a JC player. And when you bring a J.C. player in, he's got to be a Breslin. And this kid's got to step up, take that role, take Uko's spot, play like Breslin play. Don't play like some of the others play. Because he's mature, he's ready to go. Now he's got to prove himself as a uh, community college transfer. All right, Coach, great stuff. Thanks for uh, getting your shot, your uh, thoughts on signing day, what's been going on there. And uh, enjoy the rest of your Week, I know it's slowing down maybe a little bit now that signing day is over, but we got spring ball coming up in a month, like you said. But hopefully you're having some good you know, good times out there. I'm having a great time, and I tell you what, uh, I could go on and on all, all day with this, Ryan. I get fired up when you talk about recruiting. I mean, uh, we've had a week off of football. I'm looking forward to football already. I know you are, too. <laughs> Certainly, yeah. we got to have – I don't know. We need some off-season football. Something's going on, but it's going to be it's going to be a while. But good thing spring football is coming up, so we can talk about that soon. But thanks again, Coach, and we'll uh, talk to you soon. Thank you very much. And for all you out there that send in questions, thank you very much. And all you listeners, thank you very much, and uh, have a great day. Sounds good. All right, everyone else back in 30 seconds. We're going to talk to uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast.
Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We're back on the Peristyle Podcast. We've got uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber joining us. Hey, Dan, what's going on? How are you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Fairly upbeat uh, time, uh, you know, a month or so before spring ball. And uh, with uh, last week, uh, all the things that, that seem to be happening, it's kind of a... Uh, positive uh, time for USC football right now, to say the least, uh, and, and rightly so. Yeah, pretty crazy with uh, signing day. I mean, I think there was – we put some stuff in the war rooms about the, the doom and gloom on the peristyle. There was this brewing revolution going on, Dan, and people were worried, oh, Jim Moore is going to take all these guys, and USC ends up going four for four, which I don't ever remember happening, happening on signing day. And UCLA, their signing day targets – had 12 on the board and, and only got one of them. So I think there was <laughs> the demise but of USC they football. They were leading with all the rest of them the night before. Yeah. Something just really <laughs> bad happened. That's what I read somewhere. There was an insider report that said <laughs> all those guys were going to UCLA. And then, gosh, what happened? I don't know. It was a little a little crazy. Being a little sarcastic, <laughs> but uh, there are people who, you know, really, there was a lot of, positive stuff coming out of, uh, you know, from the other side of town about how, you know, what good, good shape they were in. Honestly, it doesn't look like they were in all that good a shape uh, as they were, were portraying it. And uh, I guess even after the signing, they still tried to portray it as having been in that good a shape. And some mysterious thing happened that they didn't get any of those guys. But uh, I don't think any of us were surprised by how it went. Yeah, I mean, I think kind of expected good things to happen. It looked like, for real, USC was leading for these guys. Anything could happen on signing day. But, I mean, certainly some good news. And two of those big names, Dan, we have a question. Uh, Tarek, um, he wants to know, with the Dory Jackson and John Smith, John Juju Smith, possibly playing both sides of the ball, uh, could you see them impacting the game the way that a Miles Jack or an Eddie Vanderdose did for UCLA? Hmm. Interesting. Um, I guess the one thing with Miles Jack was he was in a position of great need, uh, when you, especially when they ran out of running backs. Uh, so I'm not sure that that's going to happen uh, in the same way at USC in terms of you know, there's nothing else you can do. There's no other player you can go to. He has to go both ways. The idea of playing guys both ways is an attractive one at a program you know, that's still in its last year of, uh, of you know, scholarship limitations and, uh, and limited roster. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, whether there's the same kind of opportunity. Uh, I mean, really, UCLA uh, had, had gone through their running backs pretty much. And, um, and, and Jack was, was the only place they could turn to. I'm not sure USC is going to be quite in that same position, even for – Say you talk about return guys as good as Inodori is, uh, you know you're you're starting out with Nelson Aguilar, you know one of the best uh, return guys in the country. So um, I think a lot of that really is uh, determined by opportunity as much as anything else. So uh, certainly they're going to get probably get that chance. Uh, both of them have special talents, and uh, you just don't know where where that chance comes. I, obviously. UCLA couldn't uh, plan for um, Miles Jack, and I don't know that you can plan for those things. But if they happen, uh, you got somebody who's got enough talent to you know take advantage of it, as uh, you you know UCLA had with uh, Jack. Uh, Rundy kind of had a follow up to that. He said, "What do you think about Damian Mama being used as a fullback in the red zone like UCLA did last year with Eddie Vanderdose?" No. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 yeah. no, no, <laughs> no, 
<laughs> Big difference between a, a you know defensive tackle, an athletic defensive tackle, and an offensive lineman or a guard trying to run at fullback. It just doesn't. Yeah. And a three hundred and sixty-five, three hundred and seventy-five pound one at yeah. that. Uh, probably not. Uh, you know, you can do a lot of things if you really want to invest the time in them. That's the the other question is, do you in, you know invest that that kind of time? And uh, and you got to make some choices. My guess is probably not. I I kind of like uh, watching Buck Allen and and Trey Madden down uh, yeah. you know close. Uh, I think they'll I think they'll be fine. Uh, Rundy also had a, a second part to his question, but he said, with the new staff at the helm and the promise of open competition this spring, why do you think Max Wittick didn't decide to give spring ball a shot? My guess is. The first times we talked to Max, he was um, he didn't think he could get his degree before the first summer session. I had to guess, having not run into him, uh, you know, in the last few weeks, and don't know for sure, he could have decided that you know if I take a couple of extra courses in the spring semester, I can graduate in spring. I don't have to be here for the summer. I can. Uh, go to wherever I'm going to go and put in an entire summer, uh, that would certainly make make more sense. Uh, so you're probably going to be going anyway. And if, if you can take, uh, say, two more courses uh, and not have to put getting your degree off until the first summer session, that's going to make a big difference uh, for where he eventually ends. If he's there all summer, I think that that really gives him a much uh, much better handle on on whatever offense he's going to. Much better chance of them to get to know him, of his receivers, of his new coaches, and all that. So, uh, so I think, and, and we've heard now that that Max looks like he thinks you know can finish um, in the spring semester. So that's a change. So my guess would be uh, gives him the ability to take all the courses that he needs to take uh, to finish up in the spring. Yeah, I agree with you, Dan. I've got to chat with him a little bit since this decision came down. Uh, not too much, but uh, you know, he's always been a, a really nice kid. And it, that's what it seems like as far as what he wants to do. I mean, he told me that he was going to take an official visit. Not official visit. He's going to take a visit to Texas. Sorry, I've got recruiting on the brain still. So go visit Texas. Yeah. And he can do that. So he can, even though he's in the sem- you know, he's in semester, he's in school, he can still go out and, and check out these other schools that – USC is given permission to, so he can't go to like a Fresno State because they're on USC schedule or any other Pac-12 school. But you know, Texas is certainly one of those teams that he was looking at. You know, we heard Louisville, Hawaii, um, teams that he's kind of mentioned. But yeah, I, I think it's not as simple as oh, I'll just go through spring football. I mean, that's a big dedication of time of what you'd have to do, and he really wants to look at for his future what's going to be best for him. So part of the time is not just going to be going to school, I think, but also checking out those other places where he needs to go visit and, and see if it would be the right fit for him. Well, and the other thing is if he's going to spend a lot of time learning a new offense, or to some extent uh, the USC offense isn't, but it, you know, they're going to, it's going to be a learning experience as it always is for quarterbacks. Uh, he's probably better off investing that time and getting to where he's going to go, at least uh, knowing where he's going to go. And starting to learn their offense. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm, I would think the sooner he makes a decision, the better. And then uh, basically uh, he will be able to, I think, uh, you know, start picking up on uh, what they're going to be doing offensively, and uh, maybe even you know spend some time there uh, during spring practice and stuff like that. You know, if he's got, if the, let's say at least uh, during the spring uh, break week for USC, he could go wherever he's going to eventually go and, and watch him practice and, uh, you know, be part of that. And uh, so I think, I think the focus needs to be on where he's going next uh, rather than trying to, say, turn a two-way quarterback thing into a three-way, uh, which was probably a, a, a long shot. And uh, I, think, I think he knew that. And this is, I think this is really good for him. Well, we can't. You know, both of us probably you couldn't wish anybody more luck than good, good, you know, good things to happen. He's handled everything at USC with so much class, and uh, you just wish him all the best. We certainly do, Dan, and uh, thanks for the for their good points on 
Max getting ready for his next challenge. Um, speaking of spring football, Andrew had a question about um, if the spring schedule had been released because we do know now that uh, USC fans will be able to check out uh, practices from the Dado deck. And I, I have the dates in front of me, Dan, if you don't know off the top of your head. But essentially it's a, a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday kind of thing where they do the first – March 11th is the first practice, and then they have a week off for spring break, and then they kind of go back at it. And the, the spring game is April 19th on at the Coliseum at 1 p.m., and the pro day is March 12th. So just kind of that's, – that's the general schedule. I don't know if you had any other comments on that, Dan. Yeah, well, I think they haven't decided how many of those are going to be at the Coliseum, you know, whether it's every, uh, every Saturday or the, the you know, second, third, fourth. Saturdays or how they're going to do that, but uh, there are going to be some uh, some Saturdays where I think people will also be able to come in and see them at the Coliseum. Uh, it's not open to the public, but day two, uh, March 12th, will be uh, be pro day, and that's a, going to be a big day for for a lot of these guys uh, where you know, where they fit in. In terms of you've got to kind of with the uh, early entry guys and the and then you know some borderline seniors in terms of you know, the guys that haven't gotten invited to the combine and that um, uh, pro day is going to be real important. So um, so March 12th will be a big day. Yeah, big day for a lot of the USC players. Well, it'd be curious to see Dan too if uh, some of the guys end up showing up. I mean, there were some guys that were injured. We're not sure how many are actually going to be able to participate in that, but that'll be. Uh, be curious watching there when we yeah. go down there and check it out. Yeah, I guess we got uh, you know you got Silas Red and Morgan Breslin. Probably not uh, Marcus Martin. You wouldn't think uh, uh, Morgan Breslin probably is the flip a coin guy. Uh, you would think Silas Red uh, should be good to go uh, for that. So uh, yeah, it's kind of a be interesting. It'd be, it'd be an interesting day, and it, one of those days where you know, those guys you really are going to be pulling for them, even, the, you know, especially the, the the younger ones who left a little early. All you can do now at this point is just say, boy, um, go get them and, uh, and, and do the best you can. And uh, we're all, uh, you know, we're all behind you. And uh, good luck. Um, well, so final recruiting class, Dan, under scholarship sanctions. So no more limited scholarships uh, kind of going forward. But there was a question here. We have a voicemail question about, uh, Penn State and their scholarship sanctions. So I'll play this one for you. Hey, it's Robin Yakaya. Hey, thanks for the good job, guys. Hey, I've got a question in regards to National Signing Day. Congratulations on USC really uh, hitting the grand slam with the reeling and the big fish there at the end. Got a question on Penn State, though. Um, I was looking at the rivals there, and it looks like they signed 25 guys. I thought, I know that their sanctions are being lessened over time, but from what I understand, they're kind of limited in the, how they can on their scholarship offers as well. How are they able to find 25 scholarship players? I don't understand that. Um, anyway, thank you very much. Take care. Bye. Well, I guess basically, uh, if you look at Penn State, uh, they did what USC couldn't accomplish. They uh, they got the NCAA to give them back uh, a bunch of those scholarships. Uh, they were going to be uh, below USC because they were going to take them down to 65 total. Uh, now they're only going down to 75, and that's only for a year as opposed to USC three, and then uh, they go back up to 80, and uh, they uh, they were going to go down to uh, 15 all the way through, and now they're they're going to be allowed to go 20, and uh, because they they undersigned uh, last year, they can uh, you know do the early entry thing, and so uh, you know. Penn State did a marvelous job. You got to give uh, Bill O'Brien uh, credit. Uh, he put together a plan, and uh, they executed it. And they got the NCA to to go along with it. The board of trustees went went along with it. Imagine the football coach meeting with the board of trustees on a plan to deal with the NCA, and it worked. How about that? <laughs> so now they're instead of you know originally they were going to get you know hit way worse than USC. Not now. Uh, USC stays on top as as uh, the worst uh, in modern modern times in terms of sanctions, uh, and uh, with no reductions whatsoever. Interesting. Uh, Penn State comes to them with a plan. The NCAA says, "Sure, that sounds great. Go ahead." Pack comes to them with a plan, and they say, "Get out of here. What are you talking about? I mean, you're not going to 
talk to you about anything about you know about reduction in um, the most ridiculously over the top sanctions in the history of the NCA. No, get out of here. So too bad for USC. You got to give USC credit to come up with two 10-win seasons in the last three and actually be in a position for where you know the position they're in going into next year is really almost impossible. In in some ways, I mean, I mean the bad thing is obviously the damage to USC's name, the fact that the NCAA should be giving back and just to say, yeah, we screwed you, we screwed up, we uh, we lied, we cheated, we made stuff up, you weren't guilty. Uh, that would be part of it. And the second part of it is there are a lot of kids who were denied USC scholarships. That uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a crime. I mean, there's, there's kids that their lives would be better had they gotten a USC scholarship and, and those were denied them and um, and will always be denied them. And, um, you know, those people at, at the NCAA uh, should really hang their heads in shame. But I don't think if you looked at the people USC was dealing with, uh, they're capable of shame. So, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's the deal. But, yeah, um, Penn State, uh, like everyone else since USC, got a good deal. And USC is will be the example of of the NCAA's overreach and uh, and, and basically you know almost criminality as far as I'm concerned uh, uh, what what they did to USC and the only person who's ever looked at it uh, in a kind of a you know fair legal hearing agrees with that uh, Judge Schaller in LA one would have thought that somehow that could have been leveraged in some way to uh, benefit USC, benefit kids who, you know, have been denied scholarships, but uh, but no, and still, USC's got to go forward with fewer players than anybody they're going to play for the third straight year, and, uh, you know, in a, in a sport where where the powers that be at the Pac-12 and at the NCAA are saying we're really being very careful about players, uh, you know, uh, the concussion issue and the uh, uh, contact issue and all of that kind of thing. Uh, when it comes to USC, they say, "Ah, who cares? <laughs> we don't." And that's uh, and nobody's done anything. And it doesn't. I heard this week that from inside USC, they still say whether this is has any bearing on the absolute potential to do something that it's not completely impossible that they won't do something well okay i mean if they do anything now all it is does is help clear your name it doesn't get you any more players right um it's too late now to do anything about that but um uh you keep hearing these things whether that's just a a face-saving um uh statement for people who know that the emails are probably going to come out and people are going to say, what? They did what? Uh, the NCA will probably say, whoops, gosh. Now, who knows? I could see the NCA saying, why didn't you come and ask for your scholarships back? We would have given them to you. <laughs> we knew what was in those emails. If only you would have asked us. Now we keep hearing, Oh, they're asking, they're asking. Now, they haven't asked publicly. The other thing about that, the difference is Penn State asked publicly. Penn State made it clear. I mean, they, you know, the football coach and the board of directors got together, board of trustees at Penn State, and came up with a plan. They actually had a plan, and it was public. And they went to the NCAA with it. And then it, it worked. Yeah. USC, as far as we know, has done nothing in public said nothing in public and you know trust us they say we're doing something we've been doing something okay (laughs) okay we'll trust you and what and i think dan what people don't realize is that the sanctions that penn state was given uh major i mean they were supposed to go down to 65 scholarships a year that's worse than what usc got they were losing 10 initial scholarships a year, which is actually the exact same that USC got, but this was all over four years. The sanctions, scholarship sanctions, had not started yet. So they hadn't even begun. So people are thinking that they're kind of in the middle of the sanctions. No, they have not started. Right. And right. what you, what the NCAA do, did was 
for 2014, Penn State plays with 75 players. They were supposed to play with 65 for four years. They don't ever have to play with 65. 75 this year, 85 next year. And initial scholarships, they only lost five. They were supposed to lose 40 over the course of four years, 10 a year for four years. It's reduced to just five down, so 20 scholarships for 2014. And you saw that they ended up signing 25 because they had only signed 17 the previous year. And then from now on, 25. So the initial scholarships were reduced to almost nothing. And the total scholarships were reduced from 20 over four years to 10 for one and five for one. So really, I mean, it's not even like a small reduction. You're taking 81% of the scholarships, giving them back from the sanctions. No question. And, you know, they were embarrassed. They had to come up originally with uh, sanctions that were worse than USC's. I mean, people would say, wait a minute. You're, gonna, you're acting like it's really terrible what happened there. Well, it really was terrible that happened there. Now, there are people who question whether that was the NCAA's role uh, to sanction them or not for the, the crimes that went on there. But uh, once they got in, they said, well, how we, you know, USC had one guy who a couple of people not connected with the university tried to get to leave the university. Uh, and for that, they got 30. So, gee, many, I guess we probably got to make, make the Penn State thing worse because we're acting like it's such a big deal and we're getting all the university presidents in the NCAA council to approve our uh, action that's unprecedented. We don't have any right to do it. We don't have any legal basis to do it, but we're going to do it anyway. And then once they did it, that was all, they, you know, obviously seems like they didn't have any really uh, intent to keep it. They just did it to look good, but not to actually punish Penn State. And they didn't punish Penn State. The difference between uh, 70, uh, 20 and 15 is really big. If you can recruit 20 a year, you can pretty much, uh, you know, keep your and, – and, and having 80 – um, players on scholarship, that difference is really, really, really matters. Those last five, the way you can balance your scholarships, the way you can uh, balance out your recruiting and all of that, and the way you can protect, those extra five are a tremendous protection against uh, injuries, and it's a, it's a major, major difference. And, and the ability to recruit uh, full classes, where USC wasn't allowed to do that. So, for example, if USC had, you know, two or three or four kids at the end uh, bail on them, they were screwed. Uh, but with, when you've got 20, uh, not the same at all. Uh, you can really, uh, from year to year, you're in a much better situation. So Penn State, you know, they pretty much skated. Now, whether, you know, we could make a case that probably they should have that this should not have been handled on the NCA by the NCA. This should have been handled by the by the authorities uh, the way it was with with Sandusky, and that uh, you know maybe you fine them uh, in a way, but uh, start playing around with the scholarships and all that that have nothing to do whatsoever with whatever happened at Penn State was was ridiculous. Of course, it's same thing with USC, but uh, but yeah, Penn State has skated. USC has suffered and will be the only school uh, probably ever at this point in time to uh, USC will have a distinction. I mean, their, their penalties will stand alone and never be, uh, never be approached, and, uh, and uh, we can all just say, wow. But I think it looks like USC is surviving Yep, somehow. Well, and could be thriving this year. We'll have to wait and see. It's a good recruiting class. And uh, one last thing on the sanctions. We get these questions a lot. I get these on Twitter like 50 times a day. But Frank in Orlando, um, he says, at the beginning of the 2015 football year, USC can go back to 85 scholarships. They'll be able to bring in 25 players. If draft-eligible players leave for the NFL, will they be able to replace them? And can they offer walk-on scholarship to bring the number up to 85 or any other type of players, transfers. And, frankly, we answer this all the time. There's no way to replace players if they leave. There's no, he goes to the NFL, you can replace them. You, you know, I, we put up our scholarship distribution chart, and if you look at it now, there's 71 players on scholarship with the 19 new uh, freshmen, well, 19 new uh, entries, and then you know one uh, JC guy, Claude Palin. Um, 11 seniors on the roster. So if everybody leaves, that put, brings you down to 60. You can you could bring in 25. That gives you up to 85. So if nobody leaves over the next year, 
USC can back, get back up to 85. But every person that leaves from here over the next year, that's a player that you can't replace. So there's no way that you and can that do And that would at least yeah. be the starting point for USC for a version with, um, um, you know, any settlement that says we're going to give the NCAA a chance to, uh, to do something that would be one of the things to allow USC to come up to 85 scholarships, however they have to do it. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Like that, so there's no way to replace those guys if they leave early. So you know Leonard Williams is going to leave early. That's one. I mean, there's going to be a few more. There could be guys that don't pass, you know, academically or whatever. If it's someone from the 19, Dan, so someone, say someone doesn't make their grades, um, that scholarship's gone. But the good thing is that's still an initial ride that, that USC could use next year. So instead of getting 25 in, you could bring in 26. So any of the new people that don't end up making in the school, you can actually replace them. But if it's someone on the team that transfers out, that's out. You don't get another initial scholarship back. You just lose one from your total. And you can give walk-on scholarships as long as they've been in the program for two years. They won't count as initials. But that's not like bringing in another recruited athlete. that gets your number up, but it's not changing what's on. You know, It's a guy that was already on your team, so it doesn't really change anything. Yeah, I mean, we're looking at probably you know Nathan Gerler and, uh, and 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 Ryan Dillard would be two really good candidates, obviously, um, for scholarships that have been here two years. But uh, yeah, as you say, it doesn't change your numbers, doesn't change your you know your roster composition, doesn't give you any more you know flexibility. It's uh, it's good for them and it's fair for them and it's exactly what you know should happen for them. And would have easily happened already had they had 85 scholarships or 80 as Penn State has. But, um, uh, yeah, uh, that would be the very least thing you would think USC will, will be demanding from the NCAA is that uh, going forward they never have to go a minute with fewer than 85 scholarships. I would think right now they should be negotiating awfully hard to say uh, – we can't be, it's, you know, if the limit is 75, we're allowed to have 75. However, it, whatever it takes to get to that, I'd be asking for that right now, that, uh, that, that, that you can't ask USC. I mean, that, you know, that they put in that double whammy with the 15 limit a year, knowing that that would take them under 75. I mean, that was, that was, I mean, I'd, I'd like to strap those uh, committee and infraction <laughs> people that lie detector tests and figure out, you know, ask them. You knew what you were doing. You knew that was going to – you were going to put a 75 limit, but you knew what you meant, and that was to get them as far below 75 as you could. It's to damage them and, you know, for no other purpose than to damage them. Take them out of the, out of the picture and make, you know, make them play with uh, way fewer numbers and say, you know, Missy Conboy knew that she was getting – Notre Dame a competitive advantage. There's no question about it. I mean, she just she's not that dumb, uh, you know. I mean, they figured out how to get on the committee. She's got a law degree. Uh, she should have, you know. She knew what she was doing. They all knew what they were doing. Uh, uh, and um, I don't think they should be allowed to get away with it. I think that's an area where USC should be saying, "We're allowed to have 75. We're going to have 75." And uh, and that's not right for us. 75 is way too low. It's the worst penalty in, in NCAA history. Nobody's ever had to go through three straight years of 75 scholarships. But uh, uh, they shouldn't allow the NCAA to make them go below 75. Should I mean, for example, they lose a scholarship because a kid like Max Wittick is going to graduate. That's not right. I mean, yeah. the kid does everything you expect him to do moves out of the program, and you can't replace him? No, that's, that's absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. And, uh, and it shouldn't be allowed, and USC ought to be raising heck about it. I mean, they really should. That's, there's, there are public issues, things that should be public. It shouldn't be, we'll keep it quiet between us and the NCAA. I mean, the NCAA didn't keep it pub, you know, quiet when they uh, slapped Pat down. Uh, I wouldn't. Uh, I would. I would push this as hard as, you know. We keep hearing that they've had agreements and that got shot down, but that they had agreements with the NCA. That's that's what the, you know. The inside story, at, you know, at, at Heritage Hall is, is that they had it worked out, and then the NCA said no, uh, changed their mind. We don't know. 
would like to, it would be very I think it would be really worthwhile for a public discussion on this issue or on the USC case. And when you read how many people think USC got sanctioned because Pete was cheating, <laughs> and they're sure of that, and that's why he had to leave for, you know, for Seattle. And it's, so he did a good job at Seattle, but he was cheating at USC. Well, uh, you know, absolutely not true. Absolutely not have anything to do with the NCAA's findings or sanctions. But people just know that they know that. Why do they know that? Because USC hasn't really in any effective way uh, tried to answer any of that publicly. Because people almost can't believe it. If you get it and say, no, 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 no. They got all those penalties, the worst penalties in modern history for one player who may or may not have had a real understanding of what was going on and may or may not have had that back to 2004 and may or may not have benefited, you know, materially and, you know, as much as, say, the the dollars that changed hands, um, uh, you know, in the Oregon case, for example, uh, people can't believe that. They said, no, they wouldn't, they wouldn't do that to you. There had to be recruiting violations. Well, no, they weren't. Well, there had to be uh, staff people actually involved. Well, actually, no, there weren't. Now that we know what happened in the Todd McNair case, people find that impossible to believe that what happened in, in the USC case actually happened. It yeah. just seemed – and USC people, and I know like on, on the Paris style, People find it hard to even think about because it drives them crazy. It makes them nuts. They, the uh, outrageous unfairness of it, it's too much to almost to deal with. They don't want to hear about it anymore, and I, I guess I can't blame them. And they also say, well, if USC is not going to do anything about it, what can we do about it? And they, you know, they make a good point. But it's still hard to allow it when you had to deal with it. And you know that you know, a number of kids – have really you know, been cheated for something that would have benefited them their whole lives. And a number of them had, had those taken away for no reason. I mean, these are kids that were in the third and fourth grade when whatever happened with Reggie Bush happened. It just is it's insane. It's not, it's not America. It's not, it's not the way we do, we do things. It's not justice. It's not fair. It's not any of the things the NCAA is supposed to stand for. But it's, it's what happened. <laughs> uh, well, we don't end on a on that note, but we also have another <laughs> not good note to end on. Real quick, uh, here's a question about the USC basketball team uh, voicemail. Hold on one second, Dan. Here you go. Hi, this is Richard from uh, Toluca Lake. Uh, I have a question regarding the USC basketball team. With the the game last night at UCLA, they played great the first half and the second half. They kind of fizzled out. I know they had a lot of recruits there. Uh, I'm just wondering from a coach's perspective or the kid's perspective, uh, when something like that happens, do you think that hurts recruiting with the players that SC is going to go after, saying, well, I don't know, I can't play in this system? Uh, I know they had a lot of guys there last night. Uh, I'm just curious, and maybe you can give me some insight. Enjoy the program very much. Thanks a lot. Bye. I think, you know, everything that happened the other night uh, in the UCLA game was a good thing. I mean, it was an environment. You walked into the building, and you said, wow, this feels like, uh, you know, I grew up in – Kentucky basketball and Louisville basketball and Ohio State and Indiana. And it had the buzz of a big game and excitement and what have you. And, and the first half said, you know, they can go for it. They can, they can go play. Now, uh, what the style is, that's the problem I've got with this year's team. I don't know what their style is. Uh, they, they, they came out in the second half. They're up 41-35. They said they scored 41 points the first half. And they came out with the Lane Kiffin Washington State game plan uh, in the second half, and that that's not you know they were protecting a lead, I guess, or or whatever. Uh, but uh, I don't think the team's as bad. I mean, they're absolutely not as bad. I mean, they're one and nine in the Pac-12, and as as Andy said, and I just I certainly agree. In in, in the last six games, they could have won five of them. Now. That's either a good thing, we're better than our record, or a bad thing, when well, you could have won five, what happened? You know, I mean, they're the first USC team in history to lose back-to-back overtime games, for example. Something's missing. 
I think they've done a great job recruiting. I love the kids they got coming in. Uh, I think they're better than they're they're showing, and maybe this is uh, you know one of those years where Andy really uh, learns what it means to coach at this level and his staff learns what it means to coach at this level. But I think the other night was, was not a bad thing for, for USC basketball. Uh, just to have that building, you know, pretty much full and excited and having fun and having the students there. That was, that was a good thing. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff. And uh, thanks for coming on the show and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Okay. Thanks Ryan. See ya. All right. Thanks Dan. Everyone else. Thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle podcast. See you again next week. We'll try to do a, Trojan Blast recruiting podcast this week as well with Gerard Martinez, kind of more of a recap of signing day. So stay tuned for that. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Music